Father God, thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, our plea is this. Search our heart. Find what we hang on to with part of this world and take it out and put in there something that only beats for you. Lord, please help us. We know that there's work to be done here in this city, in this town, in this community. Please equip us during these three days. Please be with Eric and his messages. Have them be your words and not his. Open our hearts and our minds. Protect us with the Holy Spirit. God, we love you. Please help us get back to that simple pursuit. Just after you and you alone. We love you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening, guys. How we doing? I am uh, really excited about being here. Can we start by just saying thank you to the team uh, that led us in worship tonight? Um, so good. I didn't know Amy could sing so good. Oh, my goodness. Um, wow, that was awesome. Um, I am thrilled to be here. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Eric. I am a pastor uh, in Lebanon of a church called The Journey Church. And as uh, Pastor Matt was talking about earlier, we, um, by God's grace, had the opportunity to be a part of this body existing today. Uh, we started the church over 10 years ago this past January. Uh, we just had our 10th birthday. And uh, by God's grace, we've been able to reach people and, um, and just try to be a, a light in the darkness in this world. We, we live in an increasingly secular culture today. We live in an increasingly godless culture uh, where more and more people are walking away from any declaration of faith. Even in our Bible Belt, uh, people are starting to become less and less um, uh, biblical in their worldview. Uh, more people uh, are uh, I guess, are running away from claiming to be Christian. Used to be, at least everybody claimed to be Christian. Uh, but even now, uh, people are becoming more skeptical and cynical. And, um, and, and I actually think this is a great time to be alive. I actually think the church is in a great position to be used of God and to be light and to speak truth and to offer hope. And uh, we started our church 10 years ago with the hope of doing that and being a part of seeing that happen, which eventually led to planting this church. And um, it's just amazing to see what God has done here. Uh, it thrills me to see what God has done and is doing and what gives me the confidence to know he is gonna continue to do. I thank God for bringing Pastor Matt and his family here. Uh, what a man who loves God. Um, yeah. 
Um, loves the Lord. So thankful for guys like Tom and Kevin and Clint and guys who have just stood the course and worked to serve you. Um, and many more, many more that I, I could go on all night that um, the reason this church is so strong is because of the people, not because of its name. It's because of the people. And, and so there are so many things that this church uh, is gonna do in this community. And I just prayed that I can be somewhat of just a cheerleader for that this week. Um, I'm not great at uh, cheerleading with a pom-pom and megaphone, but I want to be your cheerleader in terms of uh, just pointing you to Jesus this week, reminding us of what a glorious Savior he is, what the gospel really means, the fact that he saved us. The reason we call it amazing grace and not, um, you know, uh, mediocre grace or, yeah, we should have expected it grace, um, the reason it's amazing grace is because we are so undeserving of how good he has been to us. And how could people who have been given so much keep it to ourselves? How can people who have been given so much, such free grace, such demonstration of love and forgiveness and hope, how can we keep that inwardly? We can't. We can't keep it inwardly. And so my, my prayer is that not only will we have greater esteem for Jesus uh, this week, but that also we'll have a greater urgency for the reality that this community needs Jesus. This county needs Jesus. This region needs Jesus. I don't care if we're in the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, we have a lot of people who do not know the real Jesus. They know caricatures. They know, they know religion, but they don't know Jesus. Because if they knew Jesus, they would follow him. I'm convinced of it. If they saw the real Jesus, they'd live their life for him. And so if they don't live their life for him, I'm convinced they don't see him. And that's what our role is. That's what our job is. That's what our privilege is, is to get to do that. We're having a revival, and uh, Matt and I were talking about this. Uh, revival actually implies that there's something to revive, that there is something already that has begun. A work of grace has already started in our life. And so this is not purely uh, an evangelistic event where we try to just invite lost people, though we're all about bringing people who need to hear Jesus to this event. It's also about the Christian who's been a Christian for 30 years. And about understanding we need fanned into flame our affections. We need fanned into flame um, our urgency to say, God has given me a part to play in the advancing of his kingdom. I get to be a part of that using my gifts and around my spheres of influence. And so my desire is to just put the spotlight on Jesus. I don't want the spotlight on me. I don't want to be made much of. I don't care if you ever remember my name when this week is over. What I do want to do is pull the curtain back that you see Jesus more clearly. And what I, what I do want to see is our, our urgency ratcheted up several notches to say, God put us here for a reason. It isn't just to pat ourselves on the back and say, look at us go, but it's to reach people. And so let me pray for us. Let me pray that, that we would just have hearts ready for what God wants to say to each of us. Because here's what I know. I, I know if you're here tonight, um, you're not in the same place as everybody sitting around you necessarily. You may be dealing with some real struggles. You may be dealing with some things that as you think about being on mission for God, you're thinking about how to deal with this struggle that you're dealing with, this health issue, this financial issue, this relationship problem. And, and I want you to know that God wants to meet you in this place. And that he wants to minister hope and encouragement to your heart through the gospel. But also he wants to show you that there is something much bigger than living your life for just getting comfortable and just having your problems figured out. Because there are so many people who don't know what we have. And so let's pray that God would ready our hearts and prepare the soil of our hearts for what he wants to speak to us. Father, we come. And we come expectant. We come needy. 
needy for your presence, needy for a touch from you, to, to meet with you in this place this week, to have our own fears steadied and our own worries alleviated, and to have our chaos comforted by your presence, for you to open our eyes to see truth that perhaps we have minimized, that you would help us to see that we truly are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb past is not our present. Our worst mistakes are not defining us. Help us to see that though we may not be seminary trained or we don't have uh, the ability to preach a sermon, that you have gifted us uniquely and according to your wisdom and you do not make mistakes. We have such an important role to play in your kingdom and in this city. So I ask and I pray, God, that you would do the work that you so desire to do in your church, and that is to ready them for the mission that you have given us. Help me to be of use to them. Help me to be an encouragement to them. And help me, Lord, to lay out your word clearly that our hearts would be moved by it. I ask, I pray these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Let me start with a statement that I'm going to come back to uh, throughout this message, maybe even just throughout this, this week. And here's the statement. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. Um, I wish I could say I coined that phrase. I did not coin that phrase. Um, this phrase has been used recently by a pastor by the name of Bill Hybels. However, Bill Hybels also has not coined this phrase. This phrase was originally coined by a man named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon's most popular sermon he would preach outside of his church was a sermon entitled, The Local Church, The Hope of the World. And he would go and preach this message into churches and cities as um, a reminder to them of the importance of their role. The local church is the hope of the world. We are not stating the obvious, IBM. We are not Apple. We are not Dell. We are not Walmart. We are not Southwest. We do not produce gadgets and gadgets for sale. We do not offer goods and services to be traded in the marketplace. We do not have a stock um, that is going up or down based on how our sales are going. We are not those companies. And yet, we are more important than those companies. The local church is more important than those companies. Why is the local church more important than those companies? If those companies fail at their mission, then profits suffer, people might lose jobs, uh, people's portfolios may shrink. But if the church fails at her mission, people do not hear the hope of the gospel. Eternities are affected. Human destinies are altered forever. If the local church does not run after her mission, there is far graver consequences than if Apple gets it wrong. If Dell gets it wrong, if Southwest isn't making profit, it can have an effect on the economy, but those things do not affect human hearts and human souls. There's not a company today that's being established. There's not a product that's being made and peddled. It's going to change in eternity. It's only the gospel. It's only the message and the 
saving news that Jesus Christ, the God-man, became flesh, bore sin, raised from the dead. He was rose from the dead and was raised in victory and reigns forever with a mission and a church to accomplish that mission. And that's to proclaim this good news that salvation is for all who believe, Gentiles, Jews, black, white, rich, poor, young, old. The gospel message is the message that affects forever. And so I say again, the local church is the hope of the world. We live in a world right now of spiritual blindness and darkness. I want you to take a look at a passage on the screen. It's not our focal passage, but I want to set into motion what we're going to focus on tonight. John chapter 3, 16 through 21. Take a look on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Jesus is speaking and he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So let's just stop there for a second. Jesus is speaking, and he says, God, my Father, has so loved this world that he gave me his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in me will not perish, not physically, eternally, but will have everlasting life. He says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but here's reality. You're already condemned if you dismiss me. You're not condemned Because you don't love me, you're condemned because of your sins. I didn't come to condemn you. Your sin condemns you. You remain condemned if you do not come to me. Watch what he goes on to say. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who's the light? Jesus. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus says that the world is in spiritual darkness. The world is blind. These two things, sight and blindness, uh, light and darkness, go together, right? Because if there is no light, you cannot... See, if it is dark, you are blind. And Jesus uses these analogies to speak about the spiritual condition of people. He says, I am the light, but people love the darkness. And they want to stay in darkness. And the reason is because they're blind. They love the darkness rather than the light. For everyone who does wicked hates the light. They hate the light. They love the darkness. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The problem we face today and the problem that exists in this community, in this county, and beyond is that people are walking in darkness. People are blind. The reason that people are not flocking by the groves into churches to worship the king of kings who saves souls is because they're blind. They don't see him rightly. They don't have eyes to perceive his radiance, his beauty, his glory, his greatness. Instead, they minimize the king of kings. They discard him instead of radically reorienting their life around him. The only thing that can explain this is blindness. See, a wrong thought can blind you. 
A wrong thought can blind you. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, my family and I, it was May. Uh, we were going to go to Chicago kind of for like a little mini vacation. And um, it, was, it was Sunday, and we were going to leave on Monday morning. And we have a kind of a Sunday tradition because I'm, I'm at church before my wife is. We take two separate cars. And then when church is over, then we usually jump into one car and go eat together. And inevitably, here's what happens. We'll forget that I left my car. This happens to you too, right? Um, I forget that I left my car at church. Right, so we end up getting home, and it's like five hours later, and it's like my car, right? And and now here's the good thing, though. Here's the good thing. Now, at least over the last three or four years, we live a mile from the church, so now it's not a big deal. Before I lived in Mount Juliet, that wasn't good. Um, but but I live a mile from the church, so oftentimes what I'll do because if the kids are in bed, we we're not getting the kids up to to run me to church. I'll say, hey, I'll just walk. I'll just go. I'll walk. Right? I'll get the exercise. Well, it was the day before we were going to Chicago. Same routine. I go separate cars. After church is over, we jump in, we go eat. And then in the middle of food, my wife gets a text and she goes, oh my goodness, I forgot I'm supposed to be at a birthday party. She's like, can you get them? And we're eating some other people. Can you get them to take you back to your car? I was like, yeah, yeah, not a problem. We got this, go. So she takes off. So later that night, it's about nine o'clock, 9.30. I'm just wiped out preaching all day. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. My eyes are getting heavy. I'm sitting on the bed. I got the remote, which is a sure sign. I got five and I'm out, right? And she goes, oh no, Eric, your car. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. Cause I knew what that meant. I had to walk, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not going tonight. I tell you what, I'll get up early. I'll get up really early and go get it. She's like, Eric, we have to hit the road early. Like you've got to like get up early, early. I'm like, listen, don't tell me my business, woman. I got this. Listen, <laughs> I'll get up at 5 or 5.30, and I'll get there, right? I'll, I'll get up early. And she's like, okay, but listen, you have to do it. We have a lot to do tomorrow. You can't, you can't not do this. I was like, I got this, babe. I got this, right? Five minutes later, I'm out. So my alarm goes up at, uh, at 5 o'clock, and because I didn't want her to later say, see, I told you, so I, I got right up. Got right up, five o'clock, put my hoodie on, and um, I walk out the door, and I just thought, you know, I'm just going to take this little mile-long walk, and it's still dark outside and all that fun stuff, to pray, to thank God for yesterday, to pray for this trip with my family, right? Just, you know, because what else am I going to do at 5.30 as I'm walking down the road? And, um, and so I'm walking, right? I'm praying. Things are great. And as I'm approaching the church, I was parked behind the church. And as I go behind the building, I make the turn and I look, my car's not there. And I just stop like, where's my car? And I'm just standing there at 5.15 in the morning, staring blankly into the abyss, and my car's not there. And so I decided to make a lap around the building to look in other places, knowing I just parked it where I was staring, but who knows, maybe it moved. So I... I started walking around the building, thinking it's going to magically reappear when I return. And as I come back around, it's still not there. And I just sat there, and here's the first thing that hit my, hit my mind. Somebody stole my car. And then I quickly remembered, no, it was a 2000 Ford Focus. Nobody stole my car. <laughs> they didn't steal it. There's no way somebody stole my car. And so I'm just sitting there going, where's my car? Like... What, who do I even call right now? I don't even have a phone on me. Well, I don't even know my tags. Um, 
Like, this car's gone. It just, it's vanished. And I'm just sitting there going, I don't have time for this. We're going to Chicago. What am I going to do? Tell my wife, like, hey, remember that car I used to have? (laughs) It's gone. I don't even know, right? So I'm just like, I've got to get home. So I take off running. Forget the prayer walk. I'm running now. This is panic run. Prayer walk to panic run. And I'm, I'm running home. I'm just going, where's my car at, right? And I'm just, I'm worried. I'm panicking. And as I'm making the corner to where my house is coming in view, I look in the driveway and there's my car. <laughs> right where it had been when I left. And the first thing I thought was, Katrina. See, this was her fault. See, she told me I had to go get my car. She's the one that said, you, you left your car at church. Forget the fact that I drove it home. That doesn't matter. She said, you've got to go get your car. And so as a good husband, I just listened to my wife, right? So I thought, if I'm up right now, you're about to be up right now. So I run back to the house, and I go and shake her. I'm like, Katrina, wake up. Wake up. She's like, you know, what? What's going on? I'm like, guess where I've been? I went to go get my car at church, and it's not there. She's like, where is it? I was like, it's in the driveway. She said, you walked right past your car? I said, listen, woman, don't blame this on me. You said, you said it was right there. She said, you walked right past your car? Now, you need to have some perspective here, okay? This is literally, I'm not exaggerating this. For me to walk out of my door and to go the direction I went, it's not only possible, it's probable that I brushed up against the car <laughs> as I was walking past. For real. That's, that's how in the driveway it was, right? Now, here's the question you might be asking yourself. How did you do that, right? Some of you who don't know me are going, oh, this tells me everything I need to know about you, right? But... but I really did walk right past it and did not see it. Now, how is that possible? How can you walk past something that's staring right in front of you? Here's why. Because thinking a wrong thought can blind you. Wrong thoughts can blind you. She had told me I need to get my car. I was tired. I wasn't hitting on all cylinders, right? And I didn't remember like, hold on a minute. No, no, I drove my car home. I don't have to go get my car. I just, I heard it. I believed it. And I walked right past it. I did not see my car in front of me. And and the power of that thought was so powerful that even when I saw my car was not at church, my first thought was, oh, yeah, I drove it home. No, no, no. It was someone stole my car. That's how blinding a wrong thought can be. So how is it that people are so blind to the gospel. How is it that so people are blind to what Jesus has done? It's not because Jesus is not glorious and radiant and bright for people to see. It's that they are blind. And something has to be done about that. And so I want to look tonight at what has to be done. So if you would, have your Bible. Let's go to 2 Corinthians together. We're going to look at two major passages to assess the situation in terms of what has to happen and then what is our part. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 17, and we'll make our way down into verse 4 for a few verses as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's unpack this for a moment before we keep moving. So, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with an unveiled face. What does an unveiled face allow for you to do? It helps you to see, right? If you're veiled, you are unable to see. But if you're unveiled, you can see. You're good little theologians. You got this. So watch. We all with an unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. When you behold something, what are you doing? You're seeing it, right? But notice the power of the word beholding. See, when we use the word behold, we're talking about things of majesty and gravity and weight and glory and beauty. We don't say, I beheld the cars as they drove by, right? We say, oh, I saw the cars, right? Hey, I saw you at Walmart yesterday. We didn't say, I beheld you at Walmart yesterday, right? Right? You behold, I hope you don't talk like that. Um, right? We behold things like sunsets, and mountaintops, and oceans, right? We behold beauty. And, and notice what he said. What to behold is, is to look at something and, and to be an all in wonder of it, right? To be an all in wonder of it, right? It's not simply to see it, but it's to see it rightly and to see it with affections. And, and this is what he says. We all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord. And watch what happens as we behold this. It says, and are being transformed, right? Transformed into the same image, that is the same image we're beholding, from one degree of glory to another. That means it's progressive. We keep being transformed. We keep elevating in transformation. So how do people change? How do people change? We have the veil pulled back and we behold the glory of the Lord. We, we fix our eyes on the king. And as we do so and live with our eyes fixed on him, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That word transformed and conformed has the same root, right? To form, to mold. To be transformed after something is to be molded by an image. And in this case, we are transformed into what we're beholding, and that is the Lord. One degree of glory to the next. Now watch what he says. He says, this, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the Lord's doing. The reason that we have unveiled faces to fix our eyes on him is because the Lord has done this work in our hearts. Now watch what happens. Go down into chapter four now, beginning in verse three. He says this, even if our gospel is veiled, if it's veiled, it means you can't see. It's veiled only to those who are perishing. By the way, we're all perishing in terms of we're gonna physically die. He's not talking about people who are dying physically. He means they're perishing in their sins. They're lost. If our gospel's veiled, it's only veiled to those who are perishing or who, who are lost. In their case, the God, notice, notice it's a lowercase g, the God of this world, who's he referring to? Satan, has blinded, blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing. 
the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let's connect this together. He said, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. And in their case, Satan is blinding them. Satan is blinding them. He is veiling them from seeing something. And what is it that he's trying to keep them from seeing? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He is trying to keep them from seeing Jesus rightly. Because if they see Jesus rightly, they will live for him accordingly. Now watch this. So why are we not in that condition tonight? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Watch what he says. He says, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's a paraphrase for a a time where God has spoken something about light shining in darkness. When was that, by the way? At creation. Let there be darkness. Light And what happened when God spoke that? Did it have to go into a series of events that over millions of years finally brought forth the creation? What happened when God said, let there be light? And it, and it was. Because when God speaks, there is no choice but for it to be. Now watch what he says. The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, the same God who said, let there be light, has said the same thing into our hearts. He said, let there be light, because when there was light, you could see. Has shown light into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? God has opened our eyes to see. He said, let there be light, and there was, and we saw Jesus rightly, not because we're so much wiser than the world around us, Not because we got it together and everybody else is out to lunch. It's the grace of God. The church, I'm sorry, God opens eyes to see Jesus. Make note of this. God opens eyes to see Jesus. That is God the Father, by his grace, allows the Spirit of God to awaken us, to, to regenerate dead, cold old, stony hearts and to give us hearts of flesh. He, he, he takes the blinders off. Like when Paul, when the scales fell off his eyes, the same happens to us and all of a sudden now we have eyes to see. We're no longer veiled. God opens eyes to see Jesus. So does that mean we just go, hey, well, it's God's work to do this. Close, close book, let's go home. Let's just hope it happens. No, I wanna show you something powerful because while God is the one who opens eyes, He gives us the privilege of joining him. Go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And I want you to see here from Paul's testimony about how we participate in God's work in this world. In Acts 26, Paul, who at this point in time uh, is uh, in route to Rome, he is arrested, he appeals to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. He says, nope, you gotta give me a hearing with Caesar. And so He's en route, he's on the journey uh, to appeal to Caesar, and he's standing in front of a king named Agrippa. And Agrippa is asking for an account of all the teachings and things that's gotten Paul in trouble. And Paul begins to share the gospel with him, and he tells King Agrippa his own testimony. By the way, we're going to come back around to that on night three. 
not this story, but the idea of the power of your testimony. Paul's telling about his conversion, and when we get to the road to Damascus story, which is, that was where Paul was converted, watch what it said, beginning in verse 15. Paul says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Underline the next four words. To open their eyes. To open their eyes. Well, what does he mean by that? Are they physically just shutting their eyes so tight they can't see? And he, he wants them to just go up and start squeezing eyelids open to, to see? No, what is he talking about? To open their eyes. He explains it. So that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He says, Paul, I've saved you for this purpose. I'm sending you out to open their eyes. I'm sending you out to call them out of darkness to light, that they would turn out of darkness into light, that they would turn from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and not stand in their condemnation. I'm sending you to do this, to show them that they have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here's an important thing. Yes, God opens eyes to see Jesus, but also the church opens eyes to see Jesus. The church. God is the one who ultimately has the power to open eyes, but he uses the church as a vehicle, as a mechanism, as a means for bringing about open eyes. So you can very much in a real way say the church of Jesus Christ is in the business of opening eyes. That's what we're here to do, to point people from darkness to light, from Satan to God to condemnation, to forgiveness of sins, to loneliness and living life according to their own wisdom, according to their own will and for their own glory, to trusting the wisdom of God, living according to the will of God for the glory of God. That's what we had the privilege of doing. Now, was this Paul's mission only to go open eyes? Is this just Paul's mission? Is it only for him to do this work? Well, think about this question. What did Paul do to go open eyes? He started churches. Paul would go into communities and preach the gospel and start churches. And as leaders were assembled to, to care for and disciple people, he would then go somewhere else, preach the gospel, and start churches. It's the local church that Paul started to do the work of opening eyes. And the same is true for this church right here. The local church is this community's greatest hope. The local church, not because of us, but because of the message we carry, because of the message we embody. Both in our words and in our deeds, we embody the gospel. We are pointing people to hope. We are pointing people to a savior who loves them and cares for them. We're pointing people to the very thing that they're looking for in everything else. The local church is the greatest hope for this community. And here's the problem. 
Mission apathy sinks churches and it condemns communities. Mission apathy. It sinks churches and it condemns communities. What do I mean by that? Mission apathy. This mission that we've been given to open eyes, if we become apathetic to it, if we just become inward, here's the problem. When churches get inward, we eat ourselves. We devour ourselves. When we focus internally, we, we turn on one another. You know why? Because we are a room full of sinners. We are saved by grace, but we're still sinners. You get around any of us long enough and you'll see their sin really clearly. Right? Ask my wife. Okay? The problem is, is if we turn inward and we don't remember what our job is outwardly, we'll devour one another. Backbiting. Disunity. Instead, what we're called to do is lock arms with one another as mutual sinners saved by grace who are beckoning other people to come be a part of a community that's different than any type of community they know in this world. A community where you're accepted as you are, but you're loved too much to let you stay as you are. Who love you enough to walk with you through your greatest hurts and love you enough to say the last 10% to you you know what I mean by the last 10%? That thing you need to hear that will help you to grow the most. The thing that nobody else in this world will say because they'd rather protect their egos and they'd rather protect their selves from you, you know, not liking them, for you being uh, you know, upset with them, but they love you too much to not say those things. A community that's authentic and real, that bears one another's burdens, that forgives when wrong because of the forgiveness we have received. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We love as we've been loved. That's what people are starving for. Mission apathy sinks churches. It'll destroy you. And who loses? The community. The people who are walking in darkness because the people who have the light have turned inward. People dying of thirst in need of the living water in reach of the faucet, and yet dying thirsty. That's what happens when churches don't take serious this call. There's over 10,000 plus people within reach of this church. Think about this for a moment. There are 10,000 plus people just in this area. If you even go beyond this area, that this church can affect and can reach and can have an impact on. There are 10,000 plus people all around you every day who are facing a Christless eternity. Every day. They are but one breath from the wrath of God. We cannot be okay with that. We cannot be okay with that. As long as there are people to reach, the church can never say, we're good. We, we kind of like where we are. Not when so many do not know. They don't understand. They're dying in the shadows of our steeples. They're perishing in their sins. We need our giver rip factors to go up exponentially. I don't know, no other way of saying it. We need our give-a-rip factors to go up exponentially. We need to not be okay 
with the spiritual condition of those around us. And here's why I'm so convicted by this. Because I truly believe with all of my soul that everyone's life would be better. Everybody's life would be more satisfying, more joyful, more meaningful if Jesus were the center of it. You cannot convince me otherwise. Everyone's life would be more satisfying. I'm not saying easier. Lord knows it doesn't equal easier. I'm not saying everybody's life is going to be free from sorrow and free from financial difficulties and free from relationship problems. I'm saying everyone's life would be more satisfying and more joy-filled and more meaningful and purposeful if Jesus were the absolute center of it. I'm convinced of that. Are you? Are you convinced of that? Because if we are, how could we not then go and be witnesses? How can we not engage in the mission of opening their eyes? I know that everyone's life who turns and puts Jesus at the center is more satisfying because I've seen story after story after story of grace. Your own story is a story of grace. You've seen stories of grace in this church. I've seen stories of grace in my church from young to old, from rich to poor. People who are atheists and looking, starving, searching for something, finding Christ. People who are having marital difficulties and didn't know where to turn and we were about to just give up and walk out and and. And just say, hey, the grass will be greener. Because Satan always tells us the grass will be greener on the other side. Never mind watering your own lawn. There's people right now, and maybe we forget this. If you've been in Christ for a while, you might forget what it actually feels like to live lost. We just bank so regularly on what we have in Christ. We just, we're so used to walking with this hope that we have, knowing that we have a God who walks with us, who knows us, who loves us. We're so used to it that we actually forget there's some who don't know it, who haven't experienced it, who need desperately a touch from God. And listen, and if they were to show up here on a Sunday, would receive it. If we would get serious about saying, God, use me, help me, allow me to be a part of what you're doing. I can only plant and water, but you bring the growth. See, that's the thing is while the church is called to open eyes, the, the, the part that we serve in opening eyes is just that. We, we plant, we water, we're tilling soil, but we're trusting and we're praying. God is the God who says, let light shine in darkness and brings them sight to see. crosses them over from death to life. I want you to imagine with me for a moment a church on fire to be used to open eyes. Imagine with me for a moment hundreds upon hundreds of people coming to the Journey Church, finding Christ, finding salvation, finding help for their marriage, learning to forgive those who have wronged them, learning that God is inviting them to give their life to something that matters so much, to join his mission. Just imagine that. Imagine that happening here. 
Imagine seeing dozens of people being baptized, confessing Jesus is Lord. Saying, I had given up on the idea that God even wanted anything to do with me. And then I met somebody who told me about what God had done for them. I met somebody who cared enough to extend the invitation to join them at their church. And I found people who cared about me, who loved me, who didn't judge me, who didn't say I had to dress a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way. And I heard about a message of free grace, not do good, try harder, give it your best shot. Maybe God, maybe God will accept you. I heard a story about a man who gave his life for me, who was fully God and owed me nothing, but became a man and gave me everything who bore my sins, who conquered the grave and gave me the hope and assurance that I would one day do the same. Do we think people need that message? Oh, friends, I want to give my life to people hearing that message. And you can give your life to it too, where God has put you, electricians, plumbers, school teachers, God is not asking you to go to seminary tonight to be faithful. He's asking you to put your yes on the table to say, I'll be used by you, God. Use me where you want me. In my family, in my neighborhood, in my school. Use me. You're not an extrovert? That's okay. God doesn't call extroverts alone to be used by him. You're not an intellectual? Guess what? Me neither. You're in great company. God's made you and wired you and fashioned you as you are on purpose. And he saved you for a purpose. Not to be somebody you're not, but to be used exactly where you are in the way he's made you. My question for us tonight, as we start this week, is are you willing to put your yes on the table to God? Blank check. Here it is, God. I'm yours. You've redeemed me. My life doesn't belong to me. It's yours. What do you want from me? I'm yours. Who do you want me to speak to? Who do you want me to pour into? How do you want me to be used of you? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to ask you a few questions tonight that I want to give you some space to pray about. Do you believe tonight that the local church is the hope of the world? Do you believe that God has called the Journey Church in Hartsville, Tennessee to shine the spotlight on the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you believe that they need what we have Do you believe the message that we carry carries a power to save a human soul, to alter an eternity? It's their mission apathy in your own heart. Just go before the Lord tonight. He knows where you are, but confess where you are before him. Put your yes on the table tonight. Just with an open heart. Say, God, I'm yours. I want to be used by you. I want to be used for your kingdom. I want 
to see this community come to know you. I feel inadequate at times. I feel like I don't have my whole life together. How can I be used by you and just hear and sense the comforting love of God assuring you that he's not calling perfect people tonight. He's not calling anybody here who's perfectly qualified. He's calling the willing. He's calling the humble. He's calling the broken. Cry out to him tonight. Ask God to ratchet up your concern for the lost. To raise a sense of urgency in you and collectively in the body that we would not be okay with the lostness in our city. We would not be okay with people perishing within reach of our message. Perhaps tonight you've walked in darkness. Perhaps tonight your eyes have been opened. Perhaps tonight the Lord has spoken, let there be light in your heart. And you now see Jesus is not just worth believing in. He's worth giving a life for. Perhaps tonight you need to surrender and trust him to recognize that Christ died for sinners like you. He bore the guilt, the punishment, the shame for your mistakes. And tonight, the free offer of grace is not to do something. It's to surrender. It's to trust and obey. It's to lay your heart before him and say, I believe. I confess Jesus is Lord. Father in heaven, I just pray for this body for your people that you would do a work that you will use this week and tonight as a catalyst for what you're going to do in Trousdale County and far beyond how you're going to use the lives of those who are in this room those who are part of this church to bring people from darkness to light. You are going to use this church to open eyes. I believe it. I rejoice in it. And I pray for it. Oh God, lift the veil from this community. Lift the veil. Open eyes and use us to open eyes. We give you this week, God. We give you our hearts. We ask that you take the very things that we need to hear personally and that we need to hear collectively and that you will, uh, that you will bring fruit from them, that we will not shake our heads and say, yeah, that was pretty good tonight, but that we would say, God, what must I do now? For the sake of the glory of your name, we pray you do it. And for the ever-increasing of our joy, we pray you do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I'm going to sing another song and just keep this in mind. The title is Come As You Are. And this is meant for those who do not know Christ. But I, I challenge you to think of this another way. Come as you are. No matter where your skill sets are, no matter what you're doing in your life, come as you are. Put yourself at the table. The Lord will use you. I promise you that. But if you do not know Jesus, this song is definitely for you.